Welcome to today's edition of Time in the Vineyard with Pastor Teacher Jeff Toring. Today's broadcast is being brought to you from the pulpit of Liberty Valley Church, Northfield, Ohio. Preaching our way through the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 5, we'll begin reading in verse 1. Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, whilst he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes his wives, and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem, and the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against another. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. And the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. Then was King Belshazzar greatly troubled, and his countenance was changed in him, and his lords were astonished. Now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house. And the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man in thy kingdom, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, And in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him, whom the king Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, the king, I say, thy father, made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. If you would throw your ribbon in here, and we'll return to give the exposition there in Daniel chapter 5. But I'd like to give it some introduction from the 90th Psalm. If you turn over to there, in Psalm 90, Psalm of Moses, a little different than what we're accustomed to. It's not a Davidic Psalm, but that one of Moses, and we understand the life of Moses. And so when we come to this particular Psalm, if we drop down to the 10th verse of the 90th Psalm, he tells us, something that we are very accustomed with now. And he says in verse 10, The days of our years are threescore and ten. And by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. We're familiar with that. 
average persons to live is about three score and ten. We live about 70 years on average. And if you're stronger by reason of strength, we may make it to 80. But then we know that that last 10 years or 20 years after you exceed 70 usually is difficult just because the body is giving out and we're heading towards the Jordan. But what he says here is that we have a number of days and on average they're about 70 years. And then we, of course, cross the Jordan and the time is spent. But in verse 11, he says, Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. We're familiar that we're in a bad situation. Moses, most of his shepherding life was in a bad situation. He had to tend to a flock that was rebellious for the most part, almost all the time. And so they wandered around in the desert. They were thirsty. They were hungry. They murmured. It just wasn't a blessed life. And so we know that the situation here is bad. It, to them, it's like, it seems like we're going nowhere. We wander around in the desert, seemingly circles, and probably was, but the truth is, is they are headed to the promised land. They're on track, they're on path, it's the long path. It reminds us of our lives sometimes, and you have conversation with people and you say, what's going on? How are you doing? What's happening? And a lot of times the answer is, is, well, it's the same. I wake up in the morning, I go to work. I work all day, I come home and I eat. I might watch a little bit of the sin box for a little bit after I eat dinner, and then I go back to bed. And then about eight hours later, the alarm clock goes off, right about the exact same time, I get up, I go to work, and then I come home and I eat, and then I do this, and then I go back to bed. And then it seems like this is happening all the time. It almost reminds you of wandering around in the wilderness, where it just seems like as if we're going really nowhere. Although some of our hairs start to turn gray, and then some of them start to fall out. So we're actually going somewhere, we just got to keep track. And that's what's happening here. So he says in 12, So then, because of this seemingly monotony, teach us the number of our days. Because they're going by a lot faster than we know. And we have a tendency as human beings to go into default mode. We get up, we eat, we work, we sleep. We get up, we work, we eat, we sleep. And there's a kingdom coming and there's a promised land coming. Whether you like it or not, it's coming. Now, to some of you who aren't saved, you're, you're heading for hell. I mean, a direct path down to the pit, whether you want to admit it or not. But to us that are believers, we're heading for the promised land. So those great words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And we are called to be servants of the Most High. We are not just to sit here and do nothing. We're supposed to actually move the kingdom forward. Our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. And so he says here, Lord, could you just teach us to number our days so that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom? Because he knows they are numbered. It's appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. We only have a certain number of days here. And we know it. But we need to be reminded to keep track. Look down in 16. He asked the question, he says, now this to believers, let thy work appear unto thy servants. Let us see some things. As we're going to be believers and we're making this journey to the promised land and we're serving you as citizens of heaven, could you allow us to see some of the fruit of our work? Could you allow us to see some of the heavenly things that are going on that are invisible, that we know are going on, but they're tough because we can't see them. We live by faith and not by sight. He says, could you let your work appear unto your servants and thy glory unto their children? We really want to see what's really going on. And not only that, could you let the younger generations see it so that we don't lose them? Because some of us have seen things, but the children haven't seen it yet. 
So not only for ourselves for encouragement, could you also show it to our children? Because we can't make them believe things. We can't force it to them. We can teach them. But if they don't see it for yourself, if you don't reveal yourself, they will never see it. Verse 17, And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. And not only can we see some fruits of our labor, but he says, And establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands, establish thou it. He's reminding them, let's do something that's bigger than ourselves. Get out of default mode and do something that is incredibly larger than ourselves. We are heading towards the promised land and we are servants of the Most High God who has called us into His work. So let's get at it and do something that is much larger than we could even imagine. Let's do something that will last forever. It's interesting after church because people come up and talk to me and some people have good things to say. And then right behind them has somebody else who has something bad to say. You did a great job. That was a terrible sermon. I think you were way off. Okay. After that, we had Minutemen, which was spending time with 12 rowdy Indian boys that really, I think, want to shoot arrows through every single person, including themselves. So it's nuts. Nuts. And then afterward, I sit down, and I'm just totally exhausted, and I'm still kind of, you know, rambling. And then uh, one of the boys came, because we planted a garden, but we've never weeded it. <laughs> so you know what it looks like. It looks like it's cattails all over the place. And, and one of the boys came with a ripe tomato. And I was so encouraged. It produced fruit. We planted corn, and we didn't get a single thing, nothing, not even a sprout. But the tomatoes came up all over the place. Even throughout the weeds, we got, we got all kinds of tomatoes. Half of them are rotten, but it's good. It was fruit. And what a picture. We think maybe we're just wasting our time, but we're not. We are doing things that are of eternal value. So teach us to number our days so that we know and remind ourselves that we are actually about something that will last forever. When we come back to Daniel, we're going to see this. Daniel chapter 5, it's not just the writing on the wall, it's not just some interpretation of this dream that the guy has or some vision or something along those lines. This is actually practical things for us to learn. It's difficult to learn and you have to use your mind, but if you do, you'll realize that what he is discussing here in this chapter of Daniel is timing. The correct timing that has to go with that. Now all of Daniel is dealing with timing, and we'll get into it even more in the chapters to come. The very precise timing, the times or the epics or the sections of time, the times of the Gentiles that we've been dealing with. And so what we see this is if you look down in verse 1, he says, at this particular time, Belshazzar the king, he makes a great feast. Now this is a very choice particular day that he makes this feast. This isn't just the average day in the kingdom. He's invited thousands of his 
lords and his wives and the concubines to come to the royal hall for a particular banquet where there will be an excess of drinking and partying and reveling. This is not an average day, although I'm sure that this took place in his court often, but not with thousands of his lords. There's something particular happening on this particular day. And so if we look down to verse 30, toward the end of the thing, it says, In that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldees, slain. So this is a very big day for him. He's throwing a huge party, but by the time the party is over, he will be dead. And in between, if you look down in verse 5, the fingers, notice in verse 5 it says, In the same hour came forth fingers. The timing, the Lord is making us know to pay attention to the timing of everything that's happening in this chapter. That same self hour. This took place. That very night, he dies. This particular day, he's throwing a feast to all of his lords. And it should remind us of Romans 8.28, All things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. All things. So as we come into this situation, we're familiar with the story because we just read it. So I can't take verse by verse through the entire chapter. It would last incredibly long. But he says here in verse 1, he makes this great feast. And it says in Belshazzar, verse 2, "...whilst he tasted the wine, commanded to bring in the golden silver vessels." It's while he tasted it. He's making a public tasting. He's standing up with his chest stuck out. And he's saying, he's, we're tasting this particular thing in front of all of these thousands of lords at a glorious table with all the best peacocks and all the feathers and all the trimmings and all the splendor decorated highly for this banquet. He stands up and he tastes this wine and he's doing it out of a certain vessels that were stolen from Jerusalem. Why is he doing it this particular day? Why does he call for the vessels that have been hidden away in Shinar that we learned for probably 25, 30, 40 years? Actually longer. Incredibly longer, actually. We'll find that out. So he brings these vessels out and he drinks wine in front of them. And then he sees that the fingers come down. And we know the story. There's writing on the wall. He calls the Chaldeans, the astrologers, the soothsayers, all the magicians. They don't know what to say. Again, tough, typical. Why would you bother to keep calling these guys? They never have the answer. <laughs> That's what lost people do. Until finally, somebody pipes up in verse 10. It says, Now... The queen, by reason of words of the king and his lords, come into the banquet house. Now the queen here, more than likely, is not his wife, because the wives and the concubines are already here. The queen here probably is either his mother or his grandmother. And when we read through this passage of scripture, we know that the authorized version oftentimes doesn't say grandfather or great-grandfather. It just says father. These are our fathers. And so what's happening here is Belshazzar is likely the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. And it's a very good chance that this queen here is the wife of Nebuchadnezzar, which means it's more than likely his grandmother, the queen. She's not at this reveling feast but she hears what's going on, and so she makes her trick over to the court, and she interrupts uh, the chaos. Like a wise older woman, of which all of us need. Pay attention to the older people. You hear me? I had a customer that comes, and she's an older lady. She's in her 70s, pushing 80. And so she talks, and she's, when she comes, she doesn't know my mother, but she's met her a few times through the 20 years that she's been my customer. But they always ask. You know, the old, old folks always ask about the old folks. She goes, how's mom doing? And so I said, you know, she's, 
she's pushing, she's 77 years old. You know, things are the way that they are. She goes, I understand. And so I said, you know, I want to know something interesting, though. I said, you know, there's a hillbilly song. I think she's from Tennessee, and she's still got the twang, too, which, so I like chatting with her. But I said, um, you know, there's a hillbilly song called In Color, and part of the verses of that says, this talking about pictures, it says, this one, here's my favorite one. It's me and Grandma all dressed up the day we said our vows. Roses were red and her eyes were blue. Man, was she proud. And I heard that song one time on the radio. I turned around and went back to visit my mother for no reason. Because I know there's going to come a day when I won't be able to do that. Teach us to number our days. The queen comes in with words of wisdom and praise the Lord for it. And look what she says. The queen, by reason of the words of the king of his lords, came into the banquet house, and the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man in the kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of gods was found in him, whom the king Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, or in the original, thy grandfather, or thy great-grandfather, we're not exactly sure, but she repeats it to letting him know, the king Nebuchadnezzar, Thy father, the king, I say, thy father, made master of the magicians and astrologers and Chaldeans and soothsayers, this particular Daniel. And in verse 13, Daniel's brought in. Look how it says, Daniel was brought in before the king, and the king spake and said unto Daniel, Are you that Daniel, which was of the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king my father brought out of Jewry? Now we got to remember, Nebuchadnezzar's probably been dead almost 20 years by now. So the memories have faded. All of the things of chapter 4, 3, 2, and 1, that's long gone. I mean, that's memories 20-some years ago or more since this has taken place. And so the queen comes in and reminds this young man, hey, we got a particular guy in the kingdom named Daniel. Notice she doesn't even say Belshazzar. She says, right, it's a Jewish name. His name's Daniel. That's what we call him. They try to change his name, but this guy, is, he's of impeccable spirit. And maybe you should call him. And he remembers. Are you Daniel? You were from the captivity, which is an important clue for students of the Bible, especially in this chapter, reminding you, why are we here? We are in Babylon because of the captivity. That'll become important toward the end of the chapter. I've heard of you, he says. You're exceptional. So then Daniel speaks. He gives him a full sermon. Look at it in 17. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself. I am 80-some years old. I don't need your gifts. Give thy rewards to another. You can't schmooze me anymore. I, I am beyond that. Yet I will read the writing unto the king and make known unto him the interpretation. And he gives it to him. O thou king, the most high God, gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Now remember, the whole context of Daniel is the transition of sovereign lord, dominion. And so he makes this known. He's going to remind him the kind of king Nebuchadnezzar was. He says, This particular king, who all people trembled and feared before him, whom he would, he slew. And whom he would, he kept alive. 
and whom He would, He set up, and whom He would, He put down. He didn't like you, you got out of line, Nebuchadnezzar killed you. If He changed His mind, He decided to give you the thumbs up, you were safe. What He's reminding him is that Nebuchadnezzar had full sovereignty. He was a sovereign king. His word was sovereign. But, he says, even though he had all this, but when his heart was lifted up, his mind hardened in his pride. Now we know the story. We just did it last week. The king was so prideful that the Lord smites him with insanity. He eats grass as a beast. He lives outside in the dew and he's soaking wet. His hair and his beard is all ratted and covered up and he ends up living outside and he's crazy. Verse 22, Daniel reminds him, he says, you, you know that. I know it's 20 years ago, but you didn't forget. Look at it. 22, and thou, his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knowest all this, but hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels, and he repeats this, and you have brought the vessels from Jerusalem over to here? Why? He's connecting the pride issue with the party, and he's also bringing in, you brought in vessels that have been in Shinar for almost 70 years. Why today? Because the Medes and the Persians have already captured by this time almost all the providences of the land. The Medes and the Persians are gaining on him. I mean, they are gaining on him. And as of right now, as we speak, the Medes and the Persians have besieged the city. Now, you cannot penetrate the city of Babylon. And so what he is doing is, is he's being extra cocky and extra prideful. He's saying there's no way they could ever get in here. Even though they tore apart all the provinces of the nation of Babylon and the Medes and the Persians have been absolutely nasty, they are not coming in this particular city. So much so that let's just blaspheme the God of heaven and bring those vessels, those antiquity antiques that Nebuchadnezzar stole, let's bring them in here and just absolutely show everybody who's boss. Can you get any more pompous than that? He says, you've done this. Cyrus and Darius are on the warpath and you are having a drunken feast. Are you thinking of Rome right now? As Rome burned, Nero fiddled. Drunken. So then finally the hand comes down. Verse 24, Then was part of a hand sent from him, and this writing was written. And this is the writing that was written. Many, many tekel of fearsome. He doesn't understand it. The wise men don't understand it. Nobody knows what it means. Verse 26, he gives him the interpretation. Well, this is the interpretation of the thing. Many. God has numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Your days are numbered, and today is the last one. That one's repeated. Now, he doesn't give it in the interpretation, but I think the Lord writes it. The hands write it on the wall twice. Many, many tickle of Harrison, just to let him know your pride. Just so you know, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Verse 27, tickle. Thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. You're not as good as you thought. And Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. It's over. 
Verse 29, Then commended Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet. How futile can you be? You just told you're dying today, your kingdom is being wasted, and let's put a scarlet robe and put a gold chain about his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. What are you, deaf? Are you deaf? And that night was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans slain. Now, there's a whole lot more to this story. You have to know the history of it to know really the things that are before us. First thing you want to do is, if you look up ahead, if you have a study Bible, and if you look up through the column, we get a timeline. Because remember, this is about timing. And so if you look here, look at, it says B.C. in mine, it says on this page, right about today, is B.C., the year 538. Okay, well just throw your pages all the way back to the beginning of Daniel, when this whole thing started. And we're at B.C. 607. Right? The thing starts in B.C. 607. By the time we get to here, we're at B.C. 538. Do the math. And what we have is we are in the 69th year of the captivity. God says you're going to be in captivity for 70 years. And then you will be released. But the Jews, because of their sin, were taken captive and hornswoggled and taken over to Babylon. And he said, you're going to live there for 70 years. In other words, your whole life will be gone. Three score and ten, by reason of strength, four score. But the average person's life is 70 years. And so what God said is, is you, everyone alive now, your whole life is you want to waste your life? You want to just waste your time doing worldly goods? You want to live in sin and do as you want to do? You think you're the king of your castle and you can do anything you want? Fine. 70 years determined upon this. You will be in captivity your entire life. Now, to the day, we are now there. We are in the end of the 69th year. Now, that is absolutely important to take so that we understand what's happening here in Daniel chapter 5. Because God has a timeline. And what we know just by this is, well, we're approaching the end of the captivity. He's following it exactly the way that the Lord told the prophet Jeremiah when we look at that and we realize, okay, then let's search through the prophets because the prophets are always subject to the prophets and find out what is actually taking place. And so what we do is we go back then to Isaiah chapter 44, back up about 175 years. So we looked at what it was then. We're in B.C. 538. Now we're at B.C. 712. That's 175 years before all this. Now, if you don't believe the Word of God is true and you're not a Bible-believing Christian, you're about to believe. Because the prophecies cannot lie. 175 years prior to that day, prior to the whole captivity, God tells the prophet exactly what is going to happen. Now, if you jump in in chapter 44, verse 23, he says, Sing ye, O heavens, for the Lord hath done it. Shout, ye lower parts of the earth. Break forth into singing, ye mountains, O forest, every tree therein. For the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and glorified himself. It's a time for praise. It's a time to actually sing for joy. Thus saith the Lord thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb, I am the Lord that maketh all things the sovereign Lord, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. He's telling them of his control, his sovereignty, that frustrates the tokens of the liars and maketh diviners mad. The astrologers, the soothsayers, the Chaldeans, and everybody that he had in his court. Makes their knowledge foolish. All the people who have all the letters after their names. 
verse 26, that confirmeth the word of his servant and performeth the counsel of his messengers. In other words, his prophets that saith to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be inhabited in the cities of Judah. And we'll get to that in a later sermon. But look at verse 27. A very obscure passage. That saith to the deep, Be dry, and I will dry up the rivers. Now here's where we have to know a little bit of history. Babylon the Great was an absolutely astounding city. It looked like tropical paradise. We learned in high school, it's one of the seven wonders of the world. We learned about the hanging gardens and the lush fruit and the trees and the trellises, the terraces. I mean, when you walked into the city of Babylon, it was absolutely astounding. You thought to yourself, because the devil set it up as a counterfeit, that you were walking into the millennium, that you were walking into absolute paradise, that you might have found the Garden of Eden itself. I mean, they decorated it and they put flowers and plants and all this greenery and the growth was gorgeous imported flowers I mean they used science and math and all these things they had air conditioning way back then just by running cool water through aqueducts and having the wind go through it just as if we do with Eric I mean they were just way above their time the Chaldeans were incredibly worldly smart and so when you look at this they had their city that was absolutely fortified that we're told that the city itself was about 14 square miles it was a relatively large city for walking when there's no cars everyone walked and so this capital city was about 14 square miles so relatively big the walls they say were between 50 to 80 feet thick 80 feet thick we're told that they can drive chariots side by side four to five abreast and ride and race around the city on top of these walls they were so incredibly thick they're around two to three hundred feet high. They have gates. It's all perfectly brass, polished brass and iron and all gold and all these things. Even the gates themselves. In order for you to sustain a siege, what they did is they had 20 years of food stored up. So, and that's not unlikely when we hear the story of Egypt, when we, there was a famine throughout the whole earth. Everybody goes to Egypt for food. And there was enough food for people to come, not only Egypt, to last full seven years, but they were able, they had so much full in their granaries that they were able to sell food to half of the world to keep everyone alive. And so here what they did is Nebuchadnezzar set it up so that they had enough sustenance for over 20 years in store. They had these hanging gardens, they had the landscapes, everything was incredible. But on top of that, they also had trees that would produce fruit. And it would just grow. And so even if you ran out of food, you had gardens and trees and fruit and food that just naturally grew. To yourself, you'd say, well, we got 20 years of food here stored. Plus, we're growing more food. So I mean, we could last 30, 40, 50 years before we'd even run out of food. But we can sit here and drink our wine and have our thing. They had vineyards and orchards and all these things were all within the city. But what does it take to order for you to keep that going? Water. The civil engineering of Babylon made it so that the river Euphrates came through right down the center of the city with tributaries and piping systems. The civil engineering was, was massive to keep all this going. And the river Euphrates constantly flowed until one day. Because the civil engineers of the Persians figured, hey, let's dig a canal. Instead of sieging the city and waiting, let's just dig a canal and divert the water away 
from there. Let's stop their water. You know how long it took to dig a canal to make the Euphrates River turn into a different location and end up in a quarry so that all the water would dry up? Isn't that what he just said? Verse 27, that saith to the deep, Be dry, and I will dry up the rivers. 175 years before it takes place. Now look, that saith of Cyrus, He is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem. He even names the guy by name. 175 years he's telling of this story. And he lists the commander that will do the invasion by name. Now, there's nobody who can do that except for God himself. I'm going to tell you who's going to do the campaign, and I'm going to tell you how. Chapter 45, verse 1, Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden to subdue nations before him. And look at this, And I will loose the loins of kings. What happened to Belshazzar when he saw the hand come down? It says that he was so afraid that his joints were loosed and his knees smote together. Well, God just figures, let's just tell you about this. A little detail just so that you know it's me. I will loose the loins of kings to open before him. Now look, here's the problem. The full Euphrates River is coming in under this wall that's 75 to 80 feet thick, two, 300 feet high, and this water, I mean, this is gushing underneath the building. Again, the civil engineering that takes place in order to hold up a wall of that size so that the water can rush through. But anybody knows, well, what you're going to have to do is you're going to prop this up, and you're going to have bars and iron and gates that are going to be holding everything up so that nothing can go through other than water. So as they dig this canal to divert the water, you're going to have to have a little problem here with getting through the bars and getting through the gates. But it just so happens that this particular day, they're open. They're broken. You can see that you know, the guys, they're digging and they're digging and they're digging. And they're like, well, we're going to have to do something. We're still going to have to go through these bars. And then when all the waters dry up, they realize, oh my gosh, they're open. I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two-leaved gates, and the gates shall not be shut. They're wide open. And so then what happens is, is the Persians and the Medes, they just pour in by the thousands, take the city, and it's gone in one day. Oh, how great is the fall. Babylon, Babylon, how great is thy fall. And God told us about it 175 years before and named him by name. The very self-same day, in exactly the 70th year, because the years are numbered, and so are our days. And he's reminding us, Psalm 90, teach me to number my days. Because God, the Sovereign Lord, is in control. So serve Him. And if you have not bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, repented of your sins and trusted Him as your one and only Savior, 
Why not would you trust him who could do such marvelous things? Daniel chapter 5. You've been listening to Time in the Vineyard with Pastor Teacher Jeff Toring. Today's broadcast was brought to you from the pulpit of Liberty Valley Church, Northfield, Ohio. For more information, you can call the church at 330-554-7606 or check us out on the web at libertyvalleychurch.org. That's libertyvalleychurch.org.